0: Hello and welcome to Longestity Now, the place for all your news and views of life extension from around the world. It has been a long time coming. It has been a tough slog, for lack of a better term. Progress has been painfully slow. The Immortality Institute and Longevity have been at it for more than 15 years. Finally, there seems to be an explosion of interest and investment into rejuvenation therapies with real prospects. It isn't just mice anymore. Thanks to medical tourism and some favorable regulatory changes like the right to try law in the U.S., organizations such as the Age Reversal Network are able to conduct trials of promising therapies in human beings. In this episode, we'll talk to the president of the Age Reversal Network. And now let's welcome to the program, Brian Delaney, the president of the Age Reversal Network. Welcome, Brian.
1: Thank you. It's great to be
0: here. Well, speaking of the Age Reversal Network, could you give our audience idea of how you arrived at the point where you're the president of the Age Reversal Network. How did that develop?
1: Well, the very long story in short form is that a long time ago when I was 29, I was living my life the way I had been, which is uh, assuming other people were working on aging. I was a life extensionist, but I wasn't actually involved trying to bring age reversal treatments forward. I uh, got diagnosed with Crohn's disease, this inflammatory bowel disease. Um, May have been a misdiagnosis, but uh, but it was scary. And I was told, It was a very serious disease. I would have to take prednisone and at a minimum sulfosalazine, probably prednisone pieces of my gut would be removed periodically. And I had a 50-50 chance of dying of lymphoma when I was in my 50s. And I thought, that doesn't sound too great. So I went to the medical library. This was uh, quite a while ago in the 90s. And um, PubMed, I don't think, was online yet. It was didn't know about it and started reading about nutrition thinking that maybe i could change my diet in some way and i discovered the work of roy walford and others but mostly roy walford into uh, dietary restriction uh, in, in rodents largely but in some other species as well and saw that it, there was this research out there showing that you could just change the way you eat if this worked in humans and that hadn't been tested yet and it would slow the aging process and i thought that was amazing and I was surprised that no one was talking about it. So I called up Roy Walford and said, why is no one talking about this? And he said, well, young man, I am. Um, and uh, if you want to help me spread the word, we can eventually start a nonprofit and uh, try to spread the word. So, okay. so that, it took some time, but then uh, eventually we ended up starting the CR Society, the Calorie Restriction Society. So that was back in 90, by the time that got started, it was 94, 95. And I was sort of doing that for a long time. And, uh, and then I started SciDoc Life Extension. A lot of your listeners are too young to even know what Usenet is, but it was a way to communicate online. And, but I was doing this for part-time because I had to make money with my day job, which uh, ended up being kind of work in the humanities. So I didn't have my PhD, so I was teaching only part-time and I had a little translation company in uh, Sweden. So about a year and a half ago, I just happened to be in Florida and met Bill Faloon of Life Extension, and he, Talked about some of the work that he wanted to start doing to focus on very near term solutions to the problem of aging. And uh, we had a couple of dinners, and he said, You know, if you leave Sweden and move here, I'll put you on retainer and you can head this new group I'm starting. And uh, I said, Yes.
0: And that was the Age Reversal Network that you two started then. Yeah. And how has it grown since then? Well, since then, it's changed names. And
1: actually, by the way, Bill started it, but he he put me in charge of it. Um, Okay. And it's changed names multiple times. But what what we've been trying to do, I mean, there's amazing work going on right now. Um, And I'm so glad that Aubrey de Grey and Sens finally are getting more press for the work that they've been doing to try to really solve aging for real. I mean, like stop it and be able to basically keep us young and there are lots of academic researchers too that are moving in that direction, that's that's wonderful. The particular focus that Bill Falun and I and our team have is basically, what I call it the Save My Mother Society. So my mom and my both my parents were born, they were born a few weeks apart um, in 1935. My dad's in very good shape, my mother is not. And even if SENS and similar projects succeed soon, they won't be in time for my mother. So the the focus that Bill Fluitt and I and the team have is these things like NAD restoration therapy, uh, ways to activate AMPK, like metformin, um, mTOR inhibition, be it via rapamycin or diet or some other means. These things that uh, probably don't work that much, but help a little bit and are available now, and should be tested now so concretely what we do is we fund some work and just just these open label you know trials with 10 15 20 patients often with james clement of better humans and we'll be doing some of our own studies as well
0: these are kind of pilot trials yeah
1: what used to be called phase zero you know kind of exploratory open label trials not really super controlled let's let's just get some data you know there's nothing phase three clinical trial but we don't want to wait that long you know we don't want to do the sort of exploratory work phase one phase two phase three then my mother's dead so you know and lots of other mothers you know um and fathers and uncles and aunts and friends so so that yeah that's the kind of thing we're focusing on And, and and then part of my job involves also a sort of discovery uh, you know, drug treatment discovery enterprise that involves going to conferences.
0: That brings another uh, question to mind that you're going out there going to conferences and you're initializing some pilot trials. How do you decide what's the threshold of where you say, yes, we're going to try this treatment or no, we're not going to?
1: Well, there is several thresholds. If, if you mean sort of how far off is the potential payoff? I mean, for us, if it's something that is that's going to require you know more than five or six years of work? That that's really not in our ambit. So that's when it, when it comes to the time frame. And then with safety. That's a, that's a more complicated question because there there are some things like disascent quercetin that some people, James Kirkland, for example, says people should not try. I, I don't know if he really believes that. I don't think he would lie, but maybe he's publicly being a little bit more conservative in his statements than he really otherwise would be. But you know, disascent is for a lot of people, a scary cancer drug. And uh, I personally don't think it's very risky to take it once every you know, four, six, eight, 12 months. Um, I think it's almost no risk at all. But the question of risk comes into play with some of these things. And uh, you know, rapamycin, for example, might not be as safe as a lot of people think at a dose that is sufficient to have an effect on aging. So with that threshold, it's tricky and there are people in our network who are willing to take chances uh pretty significant chances and there are some that aren't so we're not going to push anything on anyone but when we do a trial with one of these drugs that might be somewhat risky actually when we do any trial at all we explain very carefully what we believe the risks might be.
0: how do you deal with that question then um i would want to save you know elderly people as well my parents a lot of people i know uh, those are the people that need the treatments the most uh, that have uh, advanced age related diseases and i would want to help them the most but they're also maybe the most willing to participate in risky trials some people have mentioned that maybe it's not ethical to you know uh, get this type of test subject in trials like this how does the uh, age reversal network handle that question
1: well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer your question in a slightly uh, different one as well. First, the different one, which is not about the trials, because that's easier to answer, I'll get to that in a sec. Okay. Rather, when it comes to suggesting that people try these outside of the context of trial or, or suggest that they, you know, to be kind of uh, careful, that they talk to their healthcare practitioner about possibly trying one of these things outside the context of, uh, context of trial. In that case, it's tricky because some of these people. I mean, it's funny. The, the people in in my parents' generation. I don't know how old your parents are. My parents born in thirty five, so they're. Some of them are very conservative. Actually, my parents themselves are very different. My dad. I mean, he's in better health than my mom, but he doesn't want to try any of these things. Um, my mother is actually quite willing to try many of them. Some people in their eighties are very afraid of this stuff. They think it's weird. They're they've been frail for so long that they actually are just looking forward to kind of going off into the sunset, which is incredibly sad, because they have forgotten what what it could be like to live longer, you know, in a state of health. But basically, for people like, I mean, you know, my parents, friends and aunts and uncles call me up, you know, and say, Brian, should I try this? And what I say is, this is what we think the risks are. This is what we think the potential benefits are. Go to your health care, your primary care physician, he or she will likely think this is a strange idea show him or her the research and make a decision and sadly what typically happens is because i would never want someone to do this someone i didn't know really well without going to their their primary care physician or some some doctor and being followed but typically their doctor is going to be so conservative the idea of using even metformin which is quite benign and well studied and very safe, that even that is something that the doctor will advise against. So your actual question now about the clinical trials, that's pretty easy because in a clinical trial, even if it's exploratory, the risks are spelled out very carefully. We have patient consent forms. We make sure people don't just click, I agree, okay. so to speak, metaphorically like they do with all the apps that so we say, I sure. agree to and give away <laughs> rights So we don't know we're giving away. So we make sure they read it carefully and they know, you know, what's at stake.
0: All right. Well, you know what? It seems like 10 to 15 years ago, something like the age reversal network would have been tough to even get off the ground due to heavy handed regulation, let's say, around the world. You know, various countries have some pretty strict regulations on what you can do, what kind of supplements you can use and things like that. It seems, though, like the regulatory framework is getting better or more favorable toward people who want to experiment. Is that what you see around the world? Around the
1: world, yes, absolutely. Oddly, not so much yet in the United States. That hasn't changed. I think attitudes have changed, but it hasn't been reflected in FDA transformations yet. I mean, a little bit, but it's it's more, it's not the regulations. It's more laxity or looseness in enforcement. That's been the change, that things are sort of ignored and it, partly it's a question of manpower, but partly, I think, like a lot of these stem cell clinics, which, as it turns out, maybe shouldn't be ignored, um, we learned from the Genentech disaster. Um, but I think that what's changed in the U.S. is just a sort of different degree, a lower degree of willingness to enforce some of the regulations. But in other countries, I mean, the EMA the, that, that covers the EU, In some ways it's a lot easier to do a lot of this work there, but much less of it is being done because there isn't so much of a demand for it yet. I think the demand will explode in the next year or two. Australia is um, a really curious case because there are a lot of American companies are doing work, the early phase work there because the IND phase in Australia is really short. The clinical work takes about the same amount of time. Um, China itself, that, that's kind of a mystery. A lot of Asian countries, the smaller ones, uh, you, can, you can do a lot of work very quickly. China is, they want to have the appearance of, they've shut down some stem cell clinics. Um, they want to have the appearance of rigor, but it's not clear how much rigor there is. And then of course, Japan now um, is a great place to research. A lot of American companies doing work, work, doing work there because it's just the clinical trial process is a lot faster.
0: Okay. And then you've had some of these phase zero projects going for a little while now. I I mean, at least for a few months is what I've heard. Any results that will be published anytime soon? Is there anywhere people can go to look for how things are progressing?
1: I would say go to our website, agereversalnetwork.com. And we will announce when these results are published. Uh, We do, we can say preliminarily that the Satsynib and quercetin, looking at at least one endpoint that was easy to measure, does help with osteoarthritis. That we're pretty certain about. We don't have the MRI data yet that will actually, you know, confirm it. But based on symptom reports, it's, it's, it's a dramatic improvement in that particular outcome. NAD infusions and patches will improve lots of, symptoms uh, connected to metabolic syndrome um and just even people who don't have metabolic syndrome just metabolic markers improve
0: basically on your website that's your primary distribution for some of this data and that's where people can go uh, to periodically check yes okay and then you also did a personal experiment with one of these uh, at RadFest uh, this year, Dastinib and Quercetin. And did you happen to measure any biomarkers beforehand, afterhand? Uh, how did that work out? Well,
1: I don't have the after results yet. I, I've actually, I, it's, it's, more than a little bit embarrassing that I've I've been um, a little bit sloppy in my experimentation. Actually, I mean, I have a good excuse. I'm just trying too many things to be able to isolate all of these independent variables. And, I, you know, I'll get a chance traveling somewhere. Someone will say, hey, can I, you know, shoot some stem cells up your nose um, and, you know, maybe it'll help your brain. Say, yes, please, please. Any he, any he help to my brain is wonderful. And then suddenly I've, you know, screwed up the test I was going to do from the previous treatment because I didn't get the after results in that before I did the next thing. So. But the one thing that I will get results on at some point, there's an experiment. A lot of this stuff that I've learned, I can't talk about because I've signed NDAs. That's and, fine. You know, no
0: problem. But
1: but I can I can say this: uh, there is a really smart group developing a test for the presence of senescent cells. With a typical test that's you know pretty easy to do is. Um, for this marker, uh, a SNES-associated beta galactosidase. Uh, that works pretty well. This group is doing a whole set of different markers. Uh, let's see, I think that's all I can say. I'm allowed okay. to say, but but basically, um, they took my blood before I did the, the Satsum and did on stage at Radfest, and they. I'm gonna send them an after sample, um, and I will have those results, and they will be on our website, and we'll see what kind of difference
0: made. Okay. And lastly, uh, the podcast audience here, the Longevity Now listeners, a uh, pretty active group in rejuvenation and always trying to help out. is What would you suggest if there was a way that we could help out the Age Reversal uh, Network? What's the best way to contribute or to help out?
1: It's funny. I almost want to first say the best way for your members to contribute is keep being members of Longevity. Uh, you have a great group. I mean, I go there. Like there's some of the things these radical things, like doing these group buys from China and doing the assays. I mean, it's it's like it's a great community. So first and foremost, just keep on. Um, But to help us, uh, you know, we have we've started a 501c3 now. That's it's not the Age Versal Network, but it's a separate because the Age age Versal Network is a it's neither for nor nonprofit. It's not a 501c3. It's a it's a um, public benefit corporation. But we have a 501c3. Um, and if you go to our website, there should be a donate button and that will go directly to research.
0: Okay. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us on the Longevity Now podcast. Thank you. You enjoy the forums at Longevity. You talk about your stacks. You argue about the science. Thanks to a Longevity grant, many of you even started measuring additional aging biomarkers this year. You might wonder if this is time well spent. Well, as you heard, Brian says yes. Your passion about life extension reaches a much broader audience than the Longestity Forum. Keep talking. Keep posting. Keep changing the world for the better. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.